0: Alrighty, I think today I'll preach on Christmas. I don't know why I feel that way, but I want you to grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 1, verse 26, and I'm reading out of the New King James. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word, and let's honor the Word of the Lord. And um, I'm going to talk to you today about the miraculous conception. The miraculous conception. And we're going to read about it, Luke 1, verse 26. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, verse 27. To a virgin, to a a what? Betrothed to a man, whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. In other words, why is he here? Then the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, now verse 31 separates the natural from the supernatural, the normal from the miraculous. It lets us know that Christianity is based on two miracles, a virgin's womb and an empty tomb. Listen to verse 31. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of David or house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I don't know a man? Verse 35 And the angel answered and said to her, Here's miracle ground. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son, not of Joseph, but of God. Now, indeed, now, we'll stop right there. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, we are standing on holy ground as we look at this, because this is where Christmas began. And we thank you, Lord, for your presence with us today, and pray that you will speak clearly to us and help us to understand that, the true claims of the Bible regarding the conception and birth of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him I'm standing on holy ground. Standing on holy ground. Now, here we have Luke's account of the miraculous way in which Jesus would come to the earth. A young Jewish girl named Mary... Chosen by God to be visited by the Holy Spirit, who would overshadow her to bring about a miraculous conception. Now, I want you to catch this, because we read this, and then we kind of just let it go in one ear and out the other. But I want us to catch that we're, we're looking at a miracle here. The, the Bible, listen, the Bible makes no b- bones about testifying to miracles. Genesis 1, verse 1, immediately, in the beginning, God created. God created. And if you can't go with Genesis 1-1, you can't go with the rest of the Bible because Genesis 1-1 lets us know there was a supernatural origin to everything we see. And, And from there on, the Bible testifies to God's supernatural intervention into the normal affairs of people. He's a supernatural God who invades our natural world. Aren't you glad that he invaded your natural world and saved your soul? Amen. Now, When we turn to Matthew's gospel, because Matthew and Luke are the ones that give us the account of the conception of Jesus in Mary's virgin womb, Matthew and Luke. When we turn to Matthew's gospel, we learn that Joseph, to whom Mary was betrothed on finding out about her pregnancy, initially thought she'd been unfaithful. Who wouldn't think that? Who wouldn't have thought that? Of course he did. And you can only imagine the reaction of a normal man. Well, God did this. Oh, really? You're pregnant because God did it. You have to understand that Joseph had great faith as well. And it says, then Joseph, her fiance, when he learned that she was pregnant, being a man of stern principle, that means of moral principle, decided to break the engagement, but to do it quietly as he didn't want to publicly Disgrace her. So he loved Mary. He didn't want to put her to shame. He didn't want her to be socially ostracized. So he just decided, I'm going to do this behind the scenes. I'm breaking it off with her and I'm not going to go tell everybody. I'm going to leave her to God. That was his thought. But now after that verse, we find that Matthew records before that verse that we just read and after that verse, Matthew is going to hammer home the supernatural origin of Mary's conception. It says in Matthew 1.18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now there's Matthew saying, I want to be clear. Yes, Joseph had his doubts, but I want the readers to understand. Joseph only assumed what any man would. But the real origin origin of her conception was not her being unfaithful, but it was the intervention of God via the Holy Spirit. That which was conceived in her was of the Holy Spirit. Then that was Matthew one eighteen. Then you go two verses down, Matthew one twenty. Matthew tells us again. But while he, that is Joseph, thought about these things, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take you marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. I call it the miraculous conception. The Catholics call it the immaculate conception. Uh, whatever you want to call it, it was the supernatural intervention of God into normal, the normal ways that things happen, and God defied that and transcended that and did a miracle. I don't know how this happened. The Bible just says the Holy Spirit overshadowed her, and we find the Holy Spirit active in Genesis 1 when there was nothing. It says the Holy Spirit hovered over the face of the deep, and it was in the presence of the Holy Spirit's hovering over the face of the deep. That God spoke and life came. Let there be the animals. Let there be the birds. Let there be the marine life. Let there be everything. And, and it moved, it, it happened in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Same thing here. Surely, as the Holy Spirit hovered over Mary, overshadowed Mary, God spoke. And again, life was conceived by the, by the word of God. Let there be. And somehow. The beginning of Jesus being transferred from heaven to earth via the womb of a woman began. We also know that the fulfillment of this, uh, uh, this event taking place, the miraculous conception, was a, full, an, a, a fulfillment of an amazing prophecy from Isaiah. Therefore, Isaiah wrote, In chapter 7, verse 14, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, Do do you know how much faith it took for Isaiah to write this? Behold, the virgin shall conceive. Well, that's a contradiction in terms. A virgin can't conceive. But Isaiah says, a virgin shall conceive. And bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah wrote that down. Don't you know that he stepped back and said, how is that ever going to be? A virgin is going to conceive because virgins don't conceive. Because we've all been in junior high biology, and we learned that for a human being to be conceived, the seed of a man uh, must fertilize the egg in a woman. And that's the only way a child is ever conceived. But that didn't happen here. Y'all are very quiet today. No, that didn't happen here. Jesus didn't come by normal means. Mary didn't get pregnant by normal means. Natural law was transcended by a supernatural God. Of the billions of humans who have lived throughout history, only one person in all of history is born into the world this way, the Lord Jesus Christ. No one before him, no one after him. He's the only one, the only one conceived this way. Now, we read this and we go, wow, you know, why did God have to do it this way? Why didn't he just send an angel? Why didn't he just raise up a man uh, uh, to to do his bidding? Why did he have to come via a a supernatural birth in the womb of a young virgin teenage Jewish girl? Why did he have to do it this way? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to answer. I'm going to give you three reasons why God did it this way. Because let's face it, it is an amazing way to bring this about, an amazing way to bring about our salvation, an amazing way to redeem us. So why did he do it? The the first reason God did it is his promise or his covenant with David. Now, God had promised King David that the Messiah would come from his lineage and the tribe of Judah and would establish a kingdom that would endure forever. Forever. All right? We call it the Davidic covenant. God cut a covenant with David. Let me read it to you. 2 Samuel 7, verse 12. God promised David, God talking to David now, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up after you an offspring from your body. That means from your lineage, from your descendants. And I will establish his rule. He will build a house for my name. Now watch everybody, and I will establish his royal throne forever. Isaiah the prophet said the same thing. Listen to this. Speaking of the Messiah, he says of the, of the increase of his government, Messiah's government, and the peace he brings, there will be no end. Upon, here it comes, upon the throne of David, And over his kingdom to order it and to establish it with justice and with righteousness from now until, say the last word with me, forever, from now until forever. Now the only way any king can rule over an eternal kingdom is if he himself is eternal. Who's going to rule on this earth over an eternal kingdom? unless they are an eternal personality. They must be an eternal person. And so what we're looking at here is is the angel said to Mary, watch what he said, Mary, he, the baby, will be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. See, even the angel knew this is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant, the promise God made to David. I'm going to bring up out of your descendants, out of your loins, out of your body, out of your offspring. Somebody who's going to rule Israel forever. There's never going to be an end to his kingdom. There's never going to be an end to his righteousness. There's never going to be an end to his rule. He will rule forever and ever and ever and ever millions and billions and trillions of years from now. He'll still be ruling. And this is Why? Jesus is often called in the Bible, the son of David. So God made a covenant with David. And the reason that Jesus had to come via a virgin's womb and why God had to be his father and God had to send God and couldn't just raise up a man. So he sent God, the son is because only an eternal person could fulfill the promise that God made to David. Now, the second reason Jesus was conceived supernaturally by the Holy Spirit, and this really, really matters, it was to avoid the sin nature of Adam. He had to bypass the sin nature of Adam. Now, let me tell you the truth about you and me. The Bible diagnoses you and me, and a lot of people don't like the diagnosis. Nobody likes going to the doctor and the doctor looking at you and saying, well, the, the tests have shown this or that or the other. So you have this disease or you have this affliction, and and so, so now that we've diagnosed it, we're going to fix it. Without a diagnosis, you can't fix anything. So God has diagnosed the human race. The Bible is crystal clear that when Adam, the head of the human race, sinned, it affected all of us. It affected the entire human race. Listen to Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world. And death through sin. And so death spread to how many men? All men. Because how many sinned? All sinned. Now, specifically, here's what it's telling us. We all sin because we all inherited a sinful nature from Adam. Sinful nature, fallen nature, the old man. Paul calls it all the time but we all inherited it. We were all born with that gene. We were all born with a fallen nature. You'll note that you never have to teach kids how to do bad. They know how to do bad all on their own. When that little one-and-a-half-year-old looks up at you and says, No, you got Adam talking to you right there. The Bible vividly describes our sinful nature. Listen to it. He says, this is the way you were. In the past, all of us lived trying to please our sinful selves. We did all the things our bodies and minds wanted. I'm going to say that again. We did everything our bodies and minds wanted. We partied hardy. We got involved in all kinds of sin and wrong. I don't care if you were a church person. If you weren't saved, you sinned, you lived in sin. I don't care if you're a good person, never get a traffic ticket, you give money to to charity, it doesn't matter. I guarantee you, you're breaking God's laws somewhere along the way. Those Ten Commandments showed you and me, we cannot reach the righteousness of God. We can't live it perfectly. And that's why God gave the Ten Commandments, so that we would say, help me, Lord, I can't help myself. I am naturally a sinner. He goes on and says, like everybody else in the world, We deserved to suffer God's anger just because of the way we were. Now, he's telling us here that we were naturally sinners. David affirms this fact in the Psalms. He says, but I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. I was born a sinner. From the moment my mother conceived me, I was born a sinner. I was born with sin, Adam's fallen nature. I was guilty of sin by association with Adam Ecclesiastes tells us, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. We're born with a natural bent to sin against God, to break God's laws. We're born with that natural bent. It is in in our nature. Everybody born of man, they have this sinful nature. Paul says, Romans 3, both Jews and Greeks... Greeks are everybody not a Jew. That's most everybody in here. If you're not a Jew, you're a Greek or a Gentile. Uh, All are under sin, as it is written. There's none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. That's why the Lord had to lay on Jesus the iniquity of us all. Because we all sinned. And John says, if you say you have no sin, you make him a liar because God has declared and diagnosed the human race that all of us are in sin, helplessly in sin, hopelessly in sin. If somebody doesn't come from the outside and save us, we will die in our sin. Now, for Jesus to save us from our sin, he had to be sinless. God couldn't have raised up a normal man because any normal man was born in sin, shaped in iniquity. How could somebody born in sin save people who were also born in sin? No, it had to be somebody who never sinned. Amen. How can a sinful man under the curse of the law die for us who are also under the curse of the law? No, it had to be somebody without spot, without blemish, pure, undefiled, without the sinful nature, somebody who never sinned. Jesus could not be born with a sinful nature or he would have been guilty by association with Adam's sin and he would have had that fallen nature on the inside. The only way around this is his father could not be earthly. It's like God said checkmate to the devil because the devil had all of us by the throat. We were all born in sin, shaped in iniquity, and God said checkmate. I'm going to send somebody. I'll be their father. They'll be my son. They won't be born with a sinful nature. Checkmate. Amen. Hence, God so loved the world. Listen, everybody. He gave his only, there's never another one, Never one before him, never after him. The only one, his only begotten. That means born from him, conceived from him. He sent his only begotten son. Begotten means one of a kind, unique. Not another one like him. There's nobody like Jesus. Muhammad was born of men. Buddha was born of men. Every world religious leader that, that that people follow and bow to, aside from Christ, were all born of men. But Jesus was not born of men. He was born of God. God was his heavenly father, literally. He was conceived by God the father in the womb of Mary. So he did not have Adam's fallen nature. Nor did he ever sin. For he made him to be sin for us, who never sinned, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise today? Amen. Amen, amen. So when Jesus died on the cross for you and for me, he was sinless. He was pure. He was holy. He was undefiled. He had never had to say, God, forgive me for anything. Because he was the perfect, sinless, sacrificed lamb. And when he died in our stead, it bypassed the devil's condemnation. And Jesus was able to spill his blood for you and for me. How many of you are glad that Jesus paid the price? Jesus paid it all. Amen? Jesus paid it all. I'm so glad for the sacrifice of Jesus. I'm so thankful that he died for me. And I so understand why. You must go to him. You must go to him. You can't go to anyone else for salvation. You must go to him. Your good works won't get you saved. Whatever you choose, whatever route you choose to go to God, there is no multiplicity of routes. There's only one way. Jesus said, "I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life." Why could he say that? Because he's the only sinless man to ever walk the planet, and he died for our sins to cover our sins, and he made a divine trade with you and me. Give me your sin and I'll give you my righteousness. Amen. Amen. That's why only Jesus can wash your sin away. That's why all of us have got to go to the foot of that cross and say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you died for me, that your blood that spilled down that old rugged cross, it was pure blood, undefiled blood, sinless blood, perfect blood, the only blood, the only currency that could be paid at the bar of God to forgive my sin and redeem me from hell. Only the blood of the lamb. Only the blood of the lamb. And that's why when you go to the cross and you say, Lord, forgive me. And he washes your sin away. God immediately sends the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. Because if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not his. And the only way for the Holy Spirit to be sent to live inside of you is you must first repent and let the blood, the perfect sinless blood of the Lamb, wash your sin away. Then you're a candidate for God to send the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. A final reason for the miraculous conception of Jesus, is it was God's perfect time. It was God's perfect time. Listen to what Paul said in Romans 5, 6. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time. Everybody say just the right time. Just the right time. Now, to a lot of people, he was late. Uh, the, the Jewish people have been waiting since, uh, well, actually since the Garden of Eden, for God to send forth the bruiser of Satan's head. The Bible says that all the Old Testament saints died in faith, not having received the promise. God having uh, provided some better thing for us that they without us could not be made perfect. Abraham died in faith. Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David, they all died in faith. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, all the minor prophets, they all died in faith. Faith in what? That God was going to send the Messiah. That God was going to send the Redeemer. That God was going to send the bruiser of Satan's head. But they died in faith, not having received the promise. God waited until just the right time. It wasn't their time, but it was God's time. How many times in my life have I said, Lord, it's time. And God said, no, it's not time. It's your time, but it's not my time. My time is my time. Your time is your time. And they ain't rarely ever going to meet. But at just the right time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem us also born under the law and born of women, meaning born in sin. And he died for us while we were living in and lost in our sin. I want to close with this, but I want you to think about it. Because God sent his son at just the right time. But what were we doing when God sent his son? We were in rebellion. We weren't thinking about God. We weren't concerned about God. We were living in sin because we were born in it. Now, most people, Paul writes, would not be willing to die for an upright person. Though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. Paul said, I can understand if you you, you would die maybe for somebody good, or you might die for one of your children. He said, I can imagine certain situations where a human being might actually be willing to die for somebody else. Our brave soldiers, men and women gone into the military. They gave their lives so that we could be free. They gave their lives in the name of freedom. We we, we read stories of, of mothers who are willing to die giving birth so the child can live. People do do it. But here's what they don't do. They don't give their lives up for an enemy. Who gives their lives for somebody that hates their guts and is rebellion against them and is in revolt against them? No, I've never read of anybody giving their life for somebody that hated them. Never, until I read about Jesus. Because it says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. He died, he, listen, he, there he is on the cross. And what are the people he's dying for doing? Hurling accusations at him, mocking him, ridiculing him, saying, if you're really, if you're really the son of God, come off the cross, uh, uh um, making fun at his expense, watching him die with glee. And yet he died for them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're saying or what they're doing. I'm going to die for them, though they're hurling accusations at me and though they hate me. He died for us. I don't know what that does for you, but I know what it does for me. I know how I was living when I heard the gospel. I was toast, if not for Jesus. What about you? We were all toast without Jesus. But amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. I once was so lost, but now I am so found. I was blind as a bat spiritually. But now I see. And I can so truly tell you through many dangers... And toils and snares since I was saved. I have already come. And it was grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace is gonna lead me home. Amen. Amen, amen. So, why did Jesus have to die or have to come into the world that way? Why did he come via the miraculous conception? God's covenant with David, he had to be an eternal person, he had to bypass Adam's nature. And he came at just the right time. And that's how the real Christmas happened. A supernatural, one-of-a-kind baby was born. Free of sin. No taint. No stain. God's lamb. Amen? Can we stand together today? If you're thankful for what the Lord did for us. And, and how many of you can say, the miraculous conception? I'm all in. I know that's what happened. Amen. Come on. The miraculous conception. Yeah. You know, I, I'm on uh, the, the show, To Every Man and Answer, twice a week, every Tuesday and Wednesday evening. You can grab it at 5 o'clock on KDKR. And we field Bible questions from all over uh, the nation. Sometimes I host it, sometimes I co-host it, but we we answer questions from everywhere and all kinds of questions. But I've noticed something. For weeks, there has been this constant question, was Jesus eternal or was he created? Was he created? I don't understand the Trinity. I really don't understand the Trinity. I'm talking about, we have gotten so many calls, I don't know what, what it is. I don't understand the Trinity. Who was Jesus? Was he created or has he always been? And how do you explain the Trinity? And I, over and over again, I say to them, I say, no, the Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's three personalities, three people, three in one. God didn't manifest himself in three different forms, or modes or manifestations no God the Father a person God the Son a person God the Holy Ghost a person and Jesus was never created so well didn't he begin when he was born of Mary no he had only changed locations that's all he did he changed locations so he could redeem us but when he was born listen when that little boy when he was 2, 3 years old, 4 years old, and he looked at you. You were looking into the eyes of God. God the son who left heaven, left his privileges. Never ever gave up his deity. Don't you ever let anybody tell you he gave up his deity. He never gave up his deity. He was deity the whole 33 years he was on earth. He was all God, all man, all man, all God. From Mary, he was all man. From God, he was all God. Joseph was just his stepdaddy. But he never lost his deity, never gave up his deity. And God the Son was born from everlasting to everlasting. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Never forget that. Such confusion out there about the Trinity. Oh, he wasn't created. No. Mormons will tell you he's created. Jehovah's Witnesses will tell you he's created. But the Bible doesn't tell you he's created. Amen? Amen? We lift our hands to the eternal Christ who died for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the eternal God, the Son. From everlasting to everlasting, thank you, Lord. You have always been and always will be, and you left the glories and privileges you had in heaven. You emptied yourself of those privileges and became a man and took upon yourself the form of a servant, and you were made in the likeness of men. And you became obedient all the way to the death on the cross. So that now you have a name above every name. In heaven and earth and under the earth. And every knee is going to bow, Lord, and we know it. Every knee in heaven and earth and even under the earth, Satan's going to bow. Demons are going to bow. Hitler's going to bow. Stalin's going to bow. They're all going to bow and say, you are Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Let's worship Him just for a moment. I feel the Spirit of God on this place. God Let's just worship Him. Is so good. God You're so good. You're so, so good. God, you're so good. Sing it. God, you're so good. Died for me I know it's true. Coming soon. You're so good to me. Amen. 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 Now, would you bow with me for just a moment of prayer? Maybe somebody is here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus. I want to give you a chance to do it right now. He died for you. He rose from the dead. He died for you when you were in sin, rebelling against him, revolting against him. He still died for you. The supernatural God came to us by way of a miraculous conception. He did it for you. And so pray with me if you want to place your faith in Christ to forgive your sins. Pray this right now. You can do it. Pray it. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me as God's lamb, a sacrifice for my sin. Come into my heart. I place my faith in you. Forgive me of all my sin and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. In the name of Jesus. Amen.